Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of just 12 questions in 30 minutes. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Dr. Susan Landers. Dr. Landers is a neonatologist who worked full-time in the NICU for over 30 years and raised three children to young adulthood. She achieved many academic and professional accomplishments, and she encountered challenges along the way, both in her career and in her mothering. Her children presented her with common problems and not so common, such as dyslexia, ADHD, and an eating disorder. Susan suffered through one particularly difficult period during her midlife after the birth of her third child that propelled her to make specific choices and a career change. She loves to tell stories that reassure younger mothers to know that they, too, can become a good enough mother, especially if they work full-time. She supports mothers with her social media posts and her blog. Her new book is So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. Susan, welcome. We are really excited to have you here. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Of course, glad yes. Glad to be invited to chat with you. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm glad you could uh, could join us. And I want to start there at the end. Uh, I practiced neonatologist many times today, and I still fumble through it, and I'm not yeah. comfortable saying it. So uh, my, my apologies there. But I want to start at the end. Uh, the name of the book, I love it. Where did that come from? So many babies. I finished my career a little bit burned out at age 62, and I wanted to tell the story and I wanted to title it Too Many Babies. And I thought that that was really too harsh. But, you know, I felt like after 34 years, I'd taken care of thousands of infants and met with thousands of mothers and fathers. The more I sat down to write, the more time I spent remembering the NICU stories, it really was just so many babies. And, and so what I did with my NICU stories was pull out the best ones from the parents who were the most inspiring, whether they had IVF triplets or whether they had an unintentional death of a twin or whether it was a baby with nearly lethal malformations. I picked stories from my own patients where I learned something about life, about being an adult, about having a career, about working with parents who have a child in the hospital. And so that was the initial framework of my book. And then my friend said, well, that's ridiculous. You need to write about being a mother because that was the hard part. And I said, no, I think being in the NICU was really hard. And, I, and you know, the more we thought about it, and I talked about it, I said, you know, they're both hard. And working mothers today are struggling with some of the same issues. I love my job. I, I like making money. I want to feel fulfilled with my work. And I felt all of those things. But I also wanted to be a mom. And I loved having three kids. I missed a lot of good stuff. But I took care of a lot of really sick kids. And I was a pretty good mom most of the time. And my patient parents appreciated what I did. So it's this seesaw, it's this paradox that I wanted to write about and try to reassure other working mothers that there is no way doing this is easy. What we do is difficult. I think 
Paradox is a good word there because it, it is a very, very difficult balance between the personal, professional, the working, the mothering, all of that. And the other kind of paradox that struck me as, as someone who's who has three children of my own, uh-huh. well, luckily we did not end up in the NICU for any of them, but you kind of pick up things each time and you realize, okay, this is a little bit different, or now I have an experience to uh, kind of have my expectations set. And as a doctor, right. you're seeing that every day. So right. the paradox to me is you you keep getting patients who are brand new or have no experiences to dwell on. And this can be one of their most difficult, if not the diff- most, you know, the very uh, most trying times in their life. How, how, how are you able to kind of balance that paradox that Look, I know what I'm doing. I, I right. please relax, but I, they can't relax, and they don't know what's about to happen. So, how how are you able to balance that for for so many babies? Actually, you learn as you go along, and you get a feel for whether or not your bedside manner is reassuring. Now, sure, if you're coding a kid, if you're resuscitating a baby, if you're at an emergency delivery and the kid's half dead, and you're trying to revive them. That's no time to tell parents what's going on. But there are times to let moms and dads see their baby, let mom touch her baby, talk to them, explain what's going on, break away from the NICU and answer questions honestly and fairly. Everyone is shattered who has a baby in the NICU. I don't care whether you expect it or not. If you're having preterm twins and they come a month early, even those mothers are scared. And so I think what I did is put myself in their place. In fact, I had an experience with my first pregnancy of preterm labor at 25 weeks gestation, and it scared me to death. And I was in the hospital for several weeks. And I thought, this is how this feels. This feels helpless. These parents and these moms feel like they are out of control, like they have no control over their baby. This wonderful pregnancy, this wonderful baby that they want so much, and they're scared and they're helpless. And the NICU is taking care of their kid, not them. So I I think I just put myself in the place of those moms and dads. And I was honest and I was patient. Not all the time. I mean, you know, the kid's care has to come first. And if you're putting in a chest tube or you're intubating somebody to put them on the ventilator, parents have to wait. But you can talk honestly and you can tell them things over and over and over again because they may not remember what they heard on day one or day two. Um, There's a way to learn to do it that is humane. It, it's it's a wonderful answer as you walk us through that, mostly because, you know, in any kind of profession, you'll hear patient, you know, train, good communication. It's okay to, to repeat things, go over them multiple times, mm-hmm. but comma, it's usually not a life and death situation where then you need to snap and to say, I, I can't do those things now because my expertise, my skills are needed otherwise. So I think you do right. a good job of walking through that. Right. Um, one of the one of the one of the many lines in your bio that I wanted to follow up on uh, was the career change based uh, mm. on a, a experience after your third child. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I had postpartum depression in the context of moving to a new city, 
My husband had a great job. So we had three little kids, new house, new neighborhood, new school. And here I was going back to work and my job was just okay. You know, Ho-Hum, one of the neonatologists in this group. And I did not get along with my manager. And he, he liked people to round seven days in a row. And he liked you to be on service 30 days in a row. And when I complained that my nanny couldn't work more than 50 or 60 hours in a week, he said, oh, well, you need a weekend nanny too. You know, the guy had no, no, zero empathy for a working mother with three little kids. And so I sort of plowed along working, even though I was depressed and not eating and not sleeping. An opportunity came to me. I was so miserable that the department chair knew how miserable I was. And she said, there's an opportunity. The medical school has an HMO. And there's a uh, a position as medical director. Why don't you do that for a while? I took that job. I, I you know, I applied for it. I got accepted. It was fun. It, you know, being an executive physician, you go to big meetings and you talk to other doctors on the phone and you go get executive training. And it's Monday through Friday, nine to five. And you know what? I did that for a few years and I did not like it. I missed clinical medicine, but it was enough of a break for me that I could assess my priorities, figure out what I wanted out of my career. I was like 40. I mean, it was classic time for women to say, what am I doing? I've got these three little kids. What is my job all about? What am I good at? What am I going to do the rest of my life, another 20 plus years? And I went through all of that. My husband blessed his heart. He had such a good job. He was so happy. And as happy as he was, I was unhappy, Mike. And we struggled and tried to, you know, kind of repair things. It turned out that we decided to keep our marriage together. We were going to have to go someplace else where we both could have jobs that were fulfilling with schedules that were better. And that's how we ended up in Austin, and we stayed here for 25 years. So the process, I don't know whether it's having postpartum depression or having a job that I hated or having three little kids or being out of balance in my marriage, but all of those things, I think, are crucial to talk about because I don't want other women to think this is but a bed of roses the whole time. It's hard having three kids in a full-time career. I don't care whether you're an accountant or a waitress or a lawyer or a doctor. It is really hard. And you've got to attend to your children and your marriage and your job and all the other things. And so I wrote about that experience hoping that other women would feel okay to say, wow, if she can admit to having that big of a problem, I bet I can too. And, and maybe I can get some help because, you know, I got help. I could afford it. I had psychotherapy and my psychiatrist helped me sort through all my priorities. And if he hadn't been there, I don't know if I would have recovered in a healthy way, but, um, it turned out to be a good experience for me in my midlife. 
thank you for sharing that. And I love the use of the word balance because it does not, at least to me, as you use it in that setting, does not mean equal all the time. It means that it is flexible in a fit in a sense that in this area, I mean, to spend more time, more energy, more focus at this time, this day, this week, this period of the year. But I know that they all have to be in harmony in one way. And I think that's one thing that we don't overlook. We can sometimes stay out of balance and then realize uh it might be too late and what's what i what i heard there is that besides balancing professionally that you did have a strong enough relationship at home uh that you did have a, a support system that kind of helped you through that time uh, do you right. find that that's common with a lot of the mothers that you work with that uh, they have a support system is that all over the place or, or is there even a comment today it's all over the place um single mothers are struggling because if they're lucky, they might have family around to help them <clears throat> and friends or, you know, uh, child care, uh, sharing child care responsibilities. But so many working moms these days are not married or they're divorced and they're having to call on other support people from within their uh, circle. And those women have it a lot higher harder. But I also hear from working mothers that are married who complain their husbands don't do as much to help as they do. Motherly Magazine did a survey last year, or maybe it was right before the pandemic, and, and it found that for every uh, five hours of household chores, children included, meals, cleaning, laundry, the whole bit, that moms do for every five hours that moms do their husbands do one hour. And so that's what I'm hearing that we still have this notion that working mothers can do it all. My husband was a saint. He helped me. I was on call in the hospital at night, gone a fair amount. And he did everything when I was gone, but I don't think that's the norm. I think the norm is, Women are doing more than men at home, um, and they don't ask for the help they need. And I want you, you're shaking your head. I wonder if you're thinking whether your wife asks you for the help that she needs. You mentioned you had three kids. Um, or does she think you should read her mind and just know when she needs you to help? Because a lot of us do that. You know, I would say to my husband, what do you mean? What do you mean? Could you'll pick up the kids from school. I'm desperate. I really need you to pick up the kids from school. Well, why didn't you ask me? You didn't ask me. So I think we have trouble in our culture. Working mothers, uh, working women have trouble asking for the help they need, whether it's from their spouse, their partner, their parents, their friends. They try to do more than they are capable of doing, in my opinion. I, I smile and I, I'm shaking my head because the answer to your question is yes to everything that I do feel like um, I, I do a fair, you know, we're pretty equal at home, but I could always do more. I could always communicate better. And if there was something I could do without asking, it would always, you know, usually be welcome uh, and positively received. So yes to all of those things. I think that's how it is. Uh, at least in, in most of the relationships that I've um, uh, been around that, you know, Good. you try Good. to be supportive, but there's always something else. And, you know, as you said, you, you might not ask, um, 
but yes, you can probably do it without without being asked, and the results will, will uh, likely be positive. Uh, going back to to the balance comment, when you talk about five to one, I mean that to me, regardless of the of the descriptor you use, balance is out of whack when it's when it's five to one. So it right. would be tough to uh, tough to achieve that kind of harmony. Um, I remember when my husband and I were sorting through everything and deciding to move to a new city, we made lists. And he wrote down, I take the kids to school and drop them off every morning. Um, I pack their lunches before we go out the door. And I take them to soccer games and play dates on the weekend. And that was his list, essentially. And my list was the dentist, the orthodontist, the pediatrician, the coach, the uniform, the 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 uh, birthday parties the play dates and it just went on and on and on and on and I thought of everything I wrote it all down and he looked at it and he went my god I didn't realize you were doing all that stuff I said I know that's because I just get up and do it and he said well I could do a few more things on the weekend and I said well good I'll let you do a few more things on the weekend <laughs> so I mean you really do have to sit down and look at whether there's balance in the marriage, whether the parents are balanced, whether somebody pulls a little heavier when the other person is stressed, all those things are required for modern parenting when both members of the couple usually work. So, I mean, even as we're talking about a you know, multiple children, but a two parent household. And it's difficult. And there are plenty of tasks usually that are outnumbering the hours in the day. Uh, you reference how difficult, if not impossible, it is for a single mother. And one of the other lines I wanted to ask you about was the quote unquote, good enough mother from your bio mm. that talking to. So I would think it would be virtually impossible to feel like a good enough mother when you're running in multiple directions at all times. And you are the the sole mom, the sole uh, house uh, keeper, the sole person right. who runs the household, uh, head of household, the sole income earner. How how can how have you have been able to talk specifically single moms to know that what you're doing is, is good enough and probably you know, outpacing any reasonable expectation for what can be done for one person? That is. The $64 million question. And I have to admit that I did not always feel like a good enough mother. And when my kids were teenagers, I did not feel like a good mother at all. But over the years, I convinced myself that I was there enough, that I were at the main event, that I was at the main event, that I was present when necessary when my daughter developed an eating disorder in high school, I cut back my hours to three-fourths time so that I could personally take her to all the visits with the, with the therapist and with the nutritionist and get her all the care she needed. And it was she, her care was way more important to me than taking care of patients right then. But um, convincing myself that I was good enough required for me that my husband would say, you're doing the best you can, or you're, you really are good enough. And I would say, oh, I think I've screwed up again. And oh, I missed something and what's going on. And they're, they're going to blame me when they grow up. And, and so all mothers have this guilt that kind of creeps in. If you're working and you're gone eight or 10 hours, 
you're, you are going to miss things. There is just no way around it. Fathers miss things. Mothers miss things. It's just that mothers feel more guilty about it. And so my definition of being a good enough mother, and it took me 20 years to convince myself of this, is I liked what I did. I was a good neonatologist. I was a good physician. I took really good care of my patients and their parents. And I was at home for all the important things and for most of the other stuff, but I missed some things. My kids grew up knowing that I loved them and they understood that if I was gone, I was in the hospital taking care of some sick kids. And so because I felt fulfilled with my job, that allowed me to be a good enough mother. Does that make sense? It does. And the the examples that you walk through there, it talks about <clears throat> it, time, again, is going to be something that is a resource that's difficult for us to all manage, have enough of. So it comes down to making tough choices, prioritizing, and then mm-hmm. ultimately deciding to be there for our children and to be present when we're there. That That's, that's kind of the that that's what they're expecting from us and, and that's the that's what we've right. got to be able to do that to kind of show up and then when we do show up to uh you know make it worthwhile for everybody um because i think that's where you do see trouble that it's kind of like well i'm here you know i'm going through the motions or um it's mm-hmm. it's it, it should be a, a big deal that i'm I, i'm with with my family or i'm i'm missing this personally and i think that's where you can run into trouble where you're kind of keeping score on things like that and um, yeah <laughs> The one good thing about the pandemic, I think, for parents was more folks were at home seeing how their kids uh, function throughout the day with online learning. I mean, I can't even imagine homeschooling children and what those mothers must have gone through to have to help elementary school children on virtual learning. But it gave both parents the impression of all the different ways that children need an adult in their lives throughout the whole day. And and I've heard that from some men that they thought they got a better impression of how complicated it was to manage a household and a job and keep the children on track. So maybe the pandemic helped us share the load, so to speak. Maybe it gave both members of the partnership a better view of how we keep in this family afloat. Um, how do we pull together? How do we do what's necessary for this kid who has this need and a different kid who has this need? Because it really is very much a work in progress. Every child presents different needs, different strengths, different quirks, <laughs> and you have to meet them along the way. And it is never predictable. I don't know about your kids, but my kids were never predictable. Predictable is not one of the words I often use to describe them. <laughs> and, and even as you were talking about the pandemic, the one thing that really struck a chord for me, um, I did not, not that I didn't consider what their day was like when they were at daycare, when they were at school. Uh, but I never thought what the, you know, moment to moment, hour to hour looked like in too much in depth. And then being mm-hmm. there, you can see 
I, I will always the the uh, the woman who runs a daycare for my small children. I consider her a saint, and she is one right. of the best things. She's one of the best things that happened to our family. But from right. being there, moment to moment, it's, it's it's like I you know I really respect the work that you do, and it is work. And because mm-hmm. the the moods are all over the place, the behavior is all over the place, and it's not mm-hmm. just you know drop off at eight, I'll see you at five. That that's right. that's a full day in between, and it's a full day's work. Um, and I know my children will will keep anybody who's with them for that long on their toes at, at the very least. Right. So that's that's one thing that I took away was you know this is not just punching a clock that we'll see in, in the end of the day. This it's work each and every moment between between start and finish. Exactly. Yes. Um, kind of changing gears a, a moment, Doctor Landers. What does your day to day currently look like? I know that you've written the new book. Is that something that you're spending more time on, or what do you consider your your vocation at this point? Well, I am reaching out to working mothers. I write a blog. I have a newsletter. I am offering uh, a self-care workbook. I would like to sell an ebook about conquering burnout based on my personal experiences. I am um, thinking about doing some group, group coaching. I haven't started that yet, but... I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from working mothers about the need for that sort of um, support. And so I'm headed in that direction. I can't take care of little babies anymore because I'm really out of the NICU and those are skills that need to be honed and maintained. And so I think what I am spending my time doing now is using my experience and my knowledge to help other working moms to sort of, you know, uh, trudge through this process. And it's different for every woman. It's different for every mother. And I want to help people to feel like they're good enough mothers. I, I think what we do is very difficult. And I think that uh, you know, husband's working, father's working full time. That's difficult too. But the mothers still carry a larger proportion of the burden. And because of that, I want mothers to get the message that there are ways to take care of yourself. There are ways to take care of your marriage. There are ways to reach out and ask for help. And so I want to teach younger working mothers some of those techniques, some of those methods so that maybe they won't have a crisis when they're 40 like I had. Um, And even if they do, I want them to know that there's help and they can get support and they can get therapy and they'll get through it. Women are interesting. They really benefit from knowing that someone else has had a similar course. We love to know that we are not alone. And so my, my job right now, I hope, is to make, help make working mothers feel less alone. That's, that's a really good answer. And I wrote down both support and not alone as you were talking, because to me, that goes hand in hand with the group coaching piece that it's, hey, it's not just me who doesn't know how to handle the situation or feels completely burnt out. And it's only Wednesday morning when you see, OK, this is more common. And we're in a setting where we can talk about this and we have an incredible resource with us who uh, not only has lived it, but has 
as you said, techniques, strategies to walk us through things that may work and may even make things easier. So uh, I think that that's, you, you paint a great picture there that um, it's, it's easy to assume that they're, you know, we we're the only ones that understand the situation when that's not the case. And then being in that right. group setting, you can kind of can bounce it off others who, who understand it better than most. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the, and we'll see the seriousness of your professional life, um, the, your mothering journey. What do you do to relax? What did you do to relax? What do you do to ease your mind for fun or uh, just to uh, when you're not uh, saving lives or helping others? I was a runner back in my 30s when I got married and had babies. And when my husband got home, I would strike out and go for a run. We were living in Houston then. <clears throat> when we moved to a different city, um, I sort of left exercise behind, working too much, but ended up joining a health club that had accommodations for children, um, daycare and, and games and camps and, and that. Such things such as that. My husband and I both exercised at least two or three days a week. Exercise has always been a great mood stabilizer for me. Not only did it make me feel fit, but it made me feel better and more in tune with, with my children and my job. I also have always kind of pecked at the piano and tried to play piano and I'm not very good at it, but off and on, I've played piano, and the music allowed me to kind of, you know, forget stress. When I when I was older, I guess I was in my 50s, I joined a handbell choir at my church because uh, the, there was a woman who knew me, and she said, oh, come on and join us. And ringing handbells is actually quite difficult because you have to all do it together, and the notes have to come down together. To make the chords sound beautiful, but the struggle to play the music and the the quality of the music of handbells just kind of carried me away. And so my stress was always just somewhere else when I was playing handbells or playing the piano. I've always been a sewer. I've always done needlework. When I sit still, I do needlework, either cross stitch or em cruel embroidery. So I, I didn't figure out for a long time that needlework was very meditative. I think one of my psychiatrists said, well, what is it that you do when you're sitting there doing needlework? I said, I don't do anything. I just sit. <laughs> he, he said, what do you think about? I said, I pretty much think about nothing. You know, I'm just trying to just do something that's in and out and up and down. And, and the point of that is, Hobbies are important. We're busy as working mothers, but if we love to garden, if we love to walk, if we love to take an exercise class with a friend, those things are so crucial to keep us um, recharged, to help us um, fill up our cup, so to speak. And I think I learned in my 30s and 40s that if I did not take care of myself, I wouldn't survive. I really could have been beat to a pulp. And so my message is it's crucial that working parents take care of themselves physically, emotionally, get enough sleep, you know, exercise, good nutrition, or they can't be decent parents. 
If they're stressed to the max and they have no way to cope with their stress, they won't do a good job. And so I learned that pretty early in my career, and that kept me afloat all the years. I okay. still am a big exercise nut. I do Pilates and and um, take strength training, and you know I'm in the gym four or five days a week. It's beautiful, <laughs> but but I feel good and I'm healthy, and you know I'm in pretty good shape for my age. And that's that's the reason to do it. You're a very well-rounded woman, Dr. Landers, <laughs> and somehow we are already at time. Um, oh. So I will post all of the links that I have if anybody would like to reach out or learn more about what you're up to. But if any of our listeners wanted to connect directly or, or learn more, where would you recommend they go? I think the best place to go is um, my website, susanlandersmd.com forward slash burnout, all cap, uh, burnout in cap. That's a checklist that I've developed for, to help working mothers figure out. It's quick and easy, only 21 items, whether you're doing okay, you're just busy, whether you're stressed or whether you're all the way burnout. And I've tested it on lots of millennial moms and they love it. And I think it helps people get a sense of where they are, validate their feelings, and then allows them to sort of make a plan and go get more support. So susanlandersmd.com forward slash burnout will get you started. Excellent. So we will certainly post to that. Uh, we have covered, I feel like a good amount of ground this evening. Anything mm -hmm. that I didn't ask you that I probably should have? Oh, wow. Um, I've had so many experiences in my life. Um, I guess the only thing you didn't ask me about was how to Stay happily married for 39 years. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been good to know. Some, some of your listeners may want to know that um, it's all about communication. Uh, really, it is all about telling each other exactly what you're thinking and not keeping secrets and propping each other up. In our marriage, we were, he was always on high and I was always low, or vice versa, and so. There was never a balance, but the imbalance was always balanced. And so we could um, manage because we had each other's back and we trusted each other. And so good communication is the key to having a long, successful marriage. That is excellent to know and the perfect place to leave our conversation tonight. Dr. Landers, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Oh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it.